This is Driven by Data, the podcast. To Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. As you know, we recently concluded season three of Driven by Data, the podcast, and are now in the throes of pulling together the launch of season four, which I can categorically promise you will be the biggest and best yet. What we thought is rather than having a brief hiatus without putting anything in your ears, what we could do is pull together some of the most listened to episodes of the podcast to keep you tied over until season four goes live with a bang. Enjoy. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Kelly Hume, who is the lead partner for data and analytics at Beringa Partners. So Kelly, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Cal. Thank you. Nice to be here. I guess, obviously, Kelly, you and I have been speaking on and off for probably 12 to 18 months or so. And I guess when we talked about a potential topic for the podcast, the whole premise, or I guess, you know, we ended up on a conversation around kind of data modeling and the resurgence of data modeling, right? And how that has become a thing. And I think I mentioned in that in that initial call that, you know, that's actually been a a huge bulk of our work this year actually with organizations going kind of you know back to basics almost saying you know we want people just you know we want data modelers that's what we are now looking for um which is interesting given you know most businesses are on this kind of trajectory or journey where you know data platforms in quotation marks of you know they've become all of the rage right mm-hmm. so i'm interested as a starting point to get your kind of thoughts on this is the data platform scene in your opinion is this another hype cycle is it another buzzword or i guess how is it different to the things that have come before it you know from because we've kind of gone through the whole gambit now right from warehouses and lakes to swamp houses now we're on talking about platforms like there's just all these words that are kind of constantly thrown around and often used interchangeably but aren't necessarily meant to be used interchangeably if that makes sense yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is interesting. I think data platforms are certainly where the focus is at the moment. And I would say, you know, any given day I have conversations with, a, you know, at least three clients a day on 
either re-architecting data platforms or looking at the architecture of data platforms or the use cases and the strategy for building a platform. And so it is, it's certainly where the focus is across all sectors at the moment. Um, I actually think that cloud data platforms are here for keeps. I don't think, I hope that they're not a hype, um, a hype sort of curve. Um, I think architected correctly that they support all of the benefits of traditional data warehouses um, and more recently data lakes or data swamps, as you as you rightly say. Um, they have the advantages of, of agile deployment and and I guess no crazy vendor lock-ins in the way that we've we've seen with like legacy technologies. Um, they really allow and support innovation and rapid deployment, which I think is is a game changer actually. Um, I think with data warehousing, we were really constrained on scalability and storage. It was very expensive. Um, the point-to-point integrations were painful and therefore dev and deployment cycles were long and arduous. There was, you know, a, there was a, at that point in time a real focus on understanding your data model and making sure you were very, very um like to the point on on the fields that you were going to integrate into your into your warehouse. Um, <clears throat> and it was all a very tech-driven process. I think as we moved to data lakes, everyone just got super excited by um the scalability, the the fact we could overcome the storage issues associated with data warehouses and the lack of structure. So you know, moving all of the unstructured data into into those types of technologies as well, um, it it really provided um, a, a bit of a. It was a revolution, I guess, after the, the database, which had been the, the mainstay for such a long a long time. Um, but as, to your point, I think we just saw clients um, swing in the complete other direction, um, where they'd gone from real quality control and design of a, of a database and probably put far too much focus on that to now just throwing all of their data into big data stores um and quickly creating swamps as you as you point out um lots of legacy data no no focus or effort spent on cleaning that data up or overcoming quality issues um no structure uh, no Sort of filtering out of fields that you might not need, or they, you know, fields that weren't even populated, um, and therefore we just saw a complete lack of quality and consistency. Um, and and quite quickly, I think data lakes for many of our clients became out of control, um, so they didn't even know what was in there. So it was interesting actually. From a when I was at Deloitte, a lot of well, not a lot, but m- much of the time when we were engaged to to do any work, it started with a review of like an audit of what's in our data lake because they had no idea. Um, so that was true for many clients. Um, I think now we're looking at, at technology, which is accessible for, for people to use and become skilled on quickly um, and relatively easy to connect to data sources, especially where APIs are already available. And so we can create layers which have which have the benefits of, of the sort of relational database type structure and then the agility that you might want with unstructured data coupled with you know all of the tools and technologies to enable you know rapid rapid deployment of um 
of AI analytics and CICD and, and all of that. So it feels like a real game changer for me. Mm, yeah, it kind of, I guess, based on what you're saying there, it's almost like the, the perfect middle ground, right? It's kind of more scalable and agile than than the warehouses were because, as you know, we're not as constrained by the controls and the storage issues, but at the same time, there's enough constraint and control in there that you know we're not ended up with swamps that the lakes had, had kind of caused in, in inadvertently of course so um what do you because obviously I, I guess a lot of what you talked around there at the start especially around you know being able to bring this all back and you know within the lakes it was there were quality issues that we didn't know what you know what was where and how you access it and all of that type of of good stuff what has been the reason for the or the need for that refocusing on those foundational elements in your opinion um so i think i think it's it's almost the the business awareness now and the business sort of involvement in in some of the delivery um so i think a, a lot of the data lake if if i think about the use case for data lakes or you know, data warehouses historically, there would be much more BI insight reporting sort of centrally driven to do everything. Um, and therefore, there was no very specific functional, um, I guess, like single use case for it other than reporting, regulatory reporting, and, and that involved lots of different data sources, etc. Whereas now, I think we're seeing the build out of of such platforms at a functional level within organizations. And therefore, the use cases are very specific. Um, and therefore, the way you can deploy use cases, spin up the, the environment, build out the platform with the required sort of tools, technologies to deliver a thin, what I class as a thin use case very quickly, um, is, is really is really um, based on our ability to understand the data that's available and where we would integrate, um, where would we integrate the systems and, and data to deliver those use cases. So for me, where we see data platforms currently failing or were being brought in to try and re-architect it or, or to look at how we can make it operationally useful for, for the business, it's because we've built a platform We've integrated lots of data, but we don't really know what for. Um, so there's a, a real focus for me on be really, really tight on your use cases and the priority of those use cases to get data in the hands of the business quickly and meaningfully. And then once you understand the use cases, put the legwork in to do the data modeling, understand your data, like your data architecture, your tables, what you need to bring across. And that really helps you to be very focused and prioritized in the integrations of data into those platforms, because that feels to be the, the rate limiting step for one. So the thing that usually takes takes the longest amount of time. Um, and it tends to be the thing that if you if you're not very um, controlled in your approach to doing that and you don't put the effort into the design then you're just creating further problems down the line in terms of the quality of control and the use of that data. Um, so yeah, I think understanding the sources that you want to integrate into your data platform, there's, there's just no escaping in getting away from those solid foundations. Like, you know, it's back to first principles almost around 
understanding your sources, you know, putting controls around your quality, understanding your governance and um, your governance processes. Um, and that makes for building out a solid platform. Yeah, yeah, absolutely makes um, makes perfect sense. How then, when you're having these conversations with all these businesses that you're working with, how do you approach getting the balance right between identifying the use cases by which you start, yeah. but also designing with the end in mind because i guess that's been the whole reason right of the the whole resurgence of data modeling is that you know we've probably as an industry been quite guilty of well let's spin something up let's tackle a specific use case we create a load of data around that that's done it's sat there it's been stored somewhere we're paying for it you know we could probably even tie that back to the whole esg movement right because it's sat in a data center which is costing money and blah 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 um but rarely is there that kind of centralized approach to kind of say, but you know, beyond that use case, we can still use that data elsewhere or, you know, whatever the case may be. So how do you how do you tackle to make sure that you get the balance right in that equation? Yeah, so I think um, I think the one the one thing that we do really well you know specifically as Beringa is we work really closely with our sector colleagues so we've got the the sort of the deep energy trading expert or the deep networks expert or whoever that is from our sector who really understands the business and I think what we do really well that differentiates us is we when we're sort of strategizing and designing these platforms we're we're, we're sort of working very closely with those teams who are able to really solicit those use cases at a detailed level from the business, understand what they re- what benefit they really want to drive from this platform, and we couple that back with you know systems data um, modeling. So understand the systems, like the core systems that they might want to pull data from, and where the data to deliver some of these use cases would sit. And typically, we'll find that there is you know for any sort of given functional area, a core system. And then, you know, 10, 20 other systems that they might want to augment that data with. And so I think the way that we try to prioritize some of those use cases is, is it's just like the 80-20 rule almost, like which system could we integrate first, which is probably going to be relatively straightforward to do to deliver the majority of use cases or the ones that are of most use to you. Because I think the the one the one big difference that we're we're really experiencing um in sort of parallel to all of the technology changes that we're seeing is um how intelligent the business are when it comes to their want to use data their understanding of of cloud and platform and their ability to upskill themselves on all of this and so i think where again where we see these programs fail is where we're not working that sort of cross-functional team like hand in hand with the business to deliver them value quickly so it you know it it goes it's it talks very much like the product tone of all and all of those roles as well um i think we're seeing a real surgence of, of those roles too and making sure that the business teams the tech teams are all working really really closely together to deliver meaningful outputs to the business in the hands of the business end to end very very quickly and for me it's about yeah finding those core source systems modeling them really tightly so you understand exactly what your 
your API calls are going to be bringing across and how you'll use that data, the cadence of that data. So, you know, is it an event-driven use case? Is it not? What services would that require then to deliver end-to-end? All of that, because I think otherwise, if you you try to build a platform or design a platform for all of the use cases, it's probably going to incorporate every, you know, every tool, technology, API, (laughs) that you could possibly imagine. So doing that in a controlled and sort of um, a pipeline way, um, a sprint way, having a backlog, understanding the priority, I think that's how, how we can... We can buy ourselves the the right to keep working in this space, to be honest, because deliver some value quickly and you've earned the right to to build out the next set of use cases and the next set of uh, services. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Makes um, makes perfect sense. So give us give us your take then on why this whole data modeling thing has come back into place. And then I guess the relationship that has on kind of building for a single use case or designing for the end in mind, as it were. Yeah, sure. Um, So I think it's finding the middle ground between where we were with um, relational database type architectures and and the the data, the data lakes. So I think, like I say, we, we did go a we did go from one extreme to the other where we're, we're, we're just chucking everything into a data lake. And I th- think now there is some re- realisation that what we've created um, in those instances is, is not really helpful to the business. So to deliver data in a way the business can understand it, find it, use it effectively, they really we need to be very, very clear on, on the fields we're bringing across and, and the intended use, the definitions, the constraints on that data, the quality controls. Um, we want to create trusted data sources that the business can just use and, and rely on. And so there is a real acknowledgement that today, um, as, as businesses and the business users themselves have become much more savvy um, and demanding of, of, of what they want from data, I think there's an acceptance that, you know, the data they have today that they might be reporting from their legacy systems isn't quite fit for purpose. And therefore, modeling that out and making sure they understand it really well and, and they can get the most from it, it does require that um, that focus on, on the modeling um, up front. So that's, I think that answers the, the modeling part of the question. Um, I think then beyond... Beyond that, I, I think there's also been that there's also a lack of understanding to to some extent in in the data that is available in legacy source systems, and so there's a there's a real value case in just taking a, a step back and understanding the data available across the organisation, so that you can really understand what value you could drive from some use cases. You know, if we brought this data together, wow, um, what could that achieve? I think the third point then is also the role of data scientists in some of this because I think over the past you know five years you've seen the hype curve with data scientists they typically have been bringing lots of this data together albeit you know on their own machines and delivering really cool value to the business through proving the 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 use cases but we've really struggled with then productionizing that so I think you know, the business now have seen some of the use cases in action 
and they want they understand more about the data across their organization and how it could be leveraged to to drive more value yeah absolutely is does does this alter in your eyes kelly the the kind of operating model if you're going to go down this platform route does you know just talk to us about the relationship with the operating model that businesses are, are working with yeah it's interesting i think I think it does. I think it really does. I think we're seeing data services now becoming decentralized. Um, you know, five years ago, it was probably sat squarely in in the arms of IT. And I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, I think business functional areas are taking much more ownership of, of what they want from their data and how they're prepared to deliver that. And they're investing in it. I think you know centrally the C-suite are supportive of that, so they're they're providing the budgets to enable that to happen, um, and I think it's really healthy. I think too often uh, the central tech teams have have been the tail wagging the dog, and you know in my experience, eliciting uh, the detailed user requirements when you're a, where you're an IT team or even a, a BA working with the business, but you don't really understand the business functional area super well. Um, that's that's really really hard to do. It's really hard to build out those user user stories, acceptance criteria, all of those things um, in a way that is genuinely going to deliver value for the business. Um, and I think, you know, and then with the traditional gated delivery processes that we used to see as well, you'd you take those requirements that the IT team would go into isolation and build something and 18 months later something the business didn't recognize would pop out so i think now working as cross functional teams where the the technology teams are are largely seconded on a program um you know a program basis into into cross functional teams led by the business i would say um it's a much more efficient way of working and i think we're we're seeing the we're seeing the the fruits of of that Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Benny Benford, who is a CDO currently in transition on a bit of a career break, but um, most people will know him from his time as the Chief Data Officer at uh, JLR, uh, where he's not too long departed. So, Benny, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Nice, nice. Well, look, there's there's so much in here that I'm kind of really excited to to unpack because I know that JLR as a as a case study, as it were, has been, you know, one of the one of the most prominent across the industry, especially here in the UK, right? As a, as a big success story in terms of what you can achieve if you get it right. So I'm keen to unpack all of all of that. Just talk us through very high level, kind of the the career trajectory that you had at JLR like where you entered and then where you left and I guess you know what that you talked about that mission there just talk us through what that was you know what what did you go in there to to achieve once that kind of mission was uh was kind of formulated so I went in the um uh the stakeholder Adrian was deputy CFO but was moving into role as chief transformation officer and wanted someone to set up a data team to support transformation um the f- I went in as a as a senior manager for data um very quickly realized the size of the challenge that wouldn't work and persuaded something but I encouraged more people to do actually said look um, I might not be ready for for director yet but we definitely need more senior managers so immediately expanded the remit of the team and got some peers in to help help take on the challenge 
And the original statement, um, he gave us uh, a, a challenge. And I think this is why JLR ended up doing stuff different. We had a stakeholder that really challenged us and gave us uh, coverage to do what we needed to do to achieve it. Said, well, I don't understand what the point of data is. Uh, can we get value out of it? And can we get a million of value per team member per year? And that's that was the mission statement for the team. Um, mm. And to be honest, I didn't think it was necessarily achievable but it was worth a go. Um, and every time we had a discussion about it, kind of, well, why not? In, in theory, we can make decisions which produce that type of value. So that that was the original goal. Um, then, you know, as the team grew um, and we had a bigger structure, we had I got peers brought in to lead data science and everything. My role transitioned more to, can we transform the rest of the organization to, to change decision-making in the same way? And for about three years, I kind of thought of my role as chief evangelist. There wasn't support for top-down change, really structuring teams and changing the company. So get everyone excited about data, bring in tools, uh, get it talked about in the newsletters, build up champions networks. Um, then we got a new CEO who was really wanted to pick up the pace and um, was interested in forming a data office. And everything I'd done around engaging the whole organization, building up champions networks, uh, provided that opportunity to, to move and be JLR's first chief data officer and take on things that were entirely unfamiliar, like data governance um, as new challenges. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the journey in a, in a whistle, I guess. Yeah, no, nice, really interesting. I guess one thing just kind of jumped to my mind as you were talking there, Benny, was, um, you know, the reporting lines and structures often get spoken about right but i guess the whole um the whole conversation around appetite and buy-in um do you consider yourself kind of fortunate that you had a sponsor that was keen to kind of start you know start moving forward with data and also transitioning into a transformational role themselves at that point in time because i guess what a lot of people struggle with is getting that buy-in getting that sponsorship you know for for a stakeholder to turn around and say you know, let's go and get value out of data. And is it possible to get a million quids worth per per person in the team? Um, you know, that's that's a really interesting start, starting point. Whereas most people are kind of battling from the get go, right, to kind of get that buy in, get that interest, etc. I, I yes, fortunate um, to some extent made the fortune. I I was frustrated as you know everyone is before they move roles at KPMG for a while before I took this role and spent a long time looking and said no to a lot of propositions, including actually about nine months before I took that role at JLR, I said no to a different role at JLR. Um, I think you've got to wait for the right opportunity. And um, I'm, to the extent I'm doing the same thing I'm doing now, there's, uh, as I'm starting to look at the market again, um, I've said no to a couple of opportunities for the same reason. If you've not got the right conditions, um, it's not worth the effort in my well you look for the opportunity challenge the organization i think i could have done that better when i moved to cdo uh we'll talk about that a bit more but certainly when you're external to a company and looking at roles you've you can wait for the right role and you've got leverage to discuss what you need to do mm. to uh, to achieve what they're looking for yeah absolutely absolutely well i guess the the topic of um getting value from data and kind of monetizing it if we want to call it that and the whole you know conversation around the return on the investment and all of that type of stuff seems to kind of divide 
and conquer amongst the data community you know you have people on one hand saying it's it's impossible to do this then you have use cases like yours that are very clearly being able to put tangible commercial figures on the return of of the initiatives that the data team has has done um just talk us through that process around how you ensure that the team was constantly in the realms of delivering value and kind of how you quantified that and, and kind of you know what just what that process looked like I think the reason people uh, find this challenging is data really doesn't go far enough down the value chain to deliver value by itself. And so if you see your responsibilities as stopping with with your immediate activities, whether that's ingestion and sorting out a data warehouse or producing a BI report, then it's hard to associate that with value because it doesn't produce value by itself. The the opportunity we had and and, and where we... um, approach things differently. First, there was a prioritization process for all work that came in to say why and what's it valued. A lot of teams don't have that remit. Again, this you, the sponsor was key for that. I can't imagine there will be many business sponsors out there that if you asked as a team, would you be happy for us to decline work that had zero value, would say, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do zero value work. So I encourage everyone to look at setting up that kind of process. So we had a process to engage. And then you really form a tension between yourself and the business because some ideas the business have are interesting, but it's not immediately obvious what value they have. Um, And other ideas, it's obvious the value, but it's not necessarily how it translates. So produce a a new forecast for vehicle volumes, one of the um, higher return projects that's been spoken about externally, it's not immediately obvious what you do with that. If you've got a buy-in from the sales teams to try and use that to drive down stock uh, stock levels, then that's a metric because you, your stock levels are measurable. A lot of cash gets trapped up in stock. Um, and the what I'd really encourage people to do, we were lucky to be in a transformation team, is if you've got a transformation team in your business, link in with them, and they will be the engine for making sure that some of the change happens. It's It's really hard to be the team that's both doing the technical work and trying to drive the change and drive new processes, deploy things. But if you're not doing that, uh, we've all seen it with BI. There's loads of BI reports that get produced and aren't used and people don't know what they're for. You've got to challenge people and have uh, your sponsor saying, only do work if you know what it's for, and then agree a metric that measures value. So it's for this purpose, and then we'll measure that and we'll measure the improvement. Mm, Yeah, absolutely is is a part of this um process kind of an allocation issue do you think often in organizations in terms of as you said the data whatever you do with it itself doesn't doesn't drive value right a a decision needs to be made an action needs to be taken and often you know i think many conversations i've had on this podcast if a data team helps a sales team to generate 10 million pound more in sales of a particular product well obviously the sales team also wants some credit for that right so it's kind of like getting that balance right how how did you address that kind of um that challenge so we had um a rough heuristic so if the what the data team had done was just an enabler and nothing more happened like loading data up and making a database available 10% of value if it's 50 50 delivery 50% of value in a rare circumstance the automated decision making process and you're deploying the solution and doing all the change 100% of value these the went through a lot of different transformation programs in in the time there and a phrase that got used a lot when talking about measuring value is the goal is to feed the pig not weigh the pig so if we come up with a measurement system that men, means we spend more time debating 
how we're calculating things and who's getting what, then the system fails. So don't worry about precision. Um, and the other thing, which is uncomfortable, but if you want stakeholders to believe the value, is to get a, a independent party to be involved in the process for approving it. Uh, at different times, it was an internal audit team, it was finance, but that accountability really, really helps. Um, it's not always comfortable, uh, but it means when you're reporting the value to board, you then go, this has been signed off by X. You've got that additional checks and balance in place. But it, I think it's a mindset shift, not just for data teams, and this is why data teams struggle. I don't think the majority of business stakeholders associate data with value. And that's mm. that's the challenge. Um, it's It's the big culture shift that needs to happen. They just want data to give them a report. They therefore the, the the change and challenge isn't just with the data team; it's with the business. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's um, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess we, we're getting into so many topics now. Where you know, I guess the question that obviously comes to my mind when you have these types of, of discussions, and I completely agree with you. By the way, the the you know the value of what building this data team and having them do deliver all these projects. What does that actually? Um, add but the same in the same breath we're also then talking about you know ceos and cfos kind of now coming to the table with their handout saying okay what are we getting for this so it's kind of this really odd odd kind of climate um if you know for, for want of a better phrase that we've we've kind of created for for ourselves right i, I agree um i'm surprised at some of the work people have got permission to do before the value case. And I think that's where that happens. Um, so back to my consulting days, I remember a client that invested a lot in uh, a single view solution uh, around data. And towards the end of the program was looking at use cases. That's very odd in, in, mm. in my humble opinion. And I think that has happened. The excitement around cloud and the modern data stack the, the single view of data stories, you know, that's more the noughties and nineties. Uh, where we are now, people have got excited about data stacks and cloud and get everything on the cloud. And then they're asking for the value. You should have asked for it at the front. You're going to have difficulty and you're going to need to be honest that we've spent a lot of money getting data and a bunch of this won't be needed. You can't get you can't get any data solution right without having a use case in mind. So trying to get back to single view you can never get a single view of data right without your use cases defined because you've not got quality measures and it, you're trying to perfect something so i'm trying to create a dictionary it, it's too academic business shouldn't be academic um and then similarly today you can't ingest the right data and get the right warehouses set up for the business and have the right stack without knowing what the use cases are you'll end up investing too much in functionality that's not needed and then your first use case will come in and and really frustrate everyone because it wasn't actually set up to deliver against the first use case. So I think that's what's happened. And I think uh, one of my, um, I guess, more controversial criticism of the, of the data sector, I think it's too led by the tech sector. All of the, the thought leadership comes from the tech companies who are obviously interested in selling their technology. So obviously there's been huge amounts of literature that talks about the benefits of moving to the cloud. And people have kind of just swallowed that pearl and gone, we'll move to the cloud, but haven't said why. And yeah, surprise, surprise, moving to the cloud doesn't give you any value. Mm. Doing something, having moved to the cloud, 
gives you more agility to do things. So yeah, I think, yeah, people will have challenges, but who's to blame? Uh, that CFO or CEO who's frustrated signed off on a project without asking what it was for. They, mm. They've got accountability there as well. 100%. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there's, there's obviously, you know, many variables to this, but, you know, I mean, I've sat, I've sat in, in many a meeting, Benny, and kind of, you know, tried to talk business leaders out of the fact that they don't need to build a, a team of data scientists at this point in time. You know, a lot of yeah. this was kind of fueled by, oh, well, you know, we've heard this great story about this company that had this big AI project that was a massive success and well, we're not doing AI, but we should be, you know, so they just jump feet first into trying to keep up with what they think the expectations of them should be, if, if that makes sense, which is uh, is really fascinating. And then you get into this, you know, th this exact situation then where they've invested a lot of money, they've built a lot of, you know, different platforms and brought in a load of tools and built a big team. And then everyone's sat scratching their head, looking at each other um, when the CEO comes <laughs> comes asking, okay, and, you know, what, what ROI have we got from this? Um, but as you said, it's not, it's very rarely strategized at the start of that yeah. of that project as to what the reason we're even doing this for and obviously you know many solutions have been built that are probably probably fantastic solutions right they're just the solutions to the wrong problem or you know a solution that's not needed at this time it doesn't serve a, a purpose internally within that that business so i guess question for you then now is how did you go through the process of identifying and prioritizing which things were going to add value and how did you kind of quantify what that looked like um so it, it was for every single project we had a process that um which is another member of the team led uh, richard bovey you know as well called mm -hmm. a problem structuring um authority that appeared before a technical design authority that asked the business and the data team what is the intended use case and do we have everything in place to be able to deliver that use case so for example um, making sort of hypothetical uh, scenarios rather than going to, to real ones I did post the other day. Imagine that um, the CFO wanted some analysis around the right uh, products to be taking to a, uh, to a to a retailer. And the data scientist came up with an algorithm and absolutely suggested we can improve the stock that we're selling of, let's just make it confectionery in all of these, these shops around the, the, the UK and, and Europe. And then you meet the chief commercial officer and the chief commercial officer goes, great, this is an amazing algorithm, but I really believe in autonomy and every individual shopkeeper needs to be able to make the decision about what their own stock is. Suddenly the data science team, unknowingly having made an amazing algorithm, realizes that the amount of business change is much higher because in order to deploy the algorithm, every shopkeeper in every region needs to approve it. And therefore you're going to need much more BI and storytelling to convince people you're going to need a whole team of people to that to engage with all of the shopkeepers and probably the regional managers. It's a hypothetical example, but hopefully people will attach to it. A lot of time, people don't ask. The technical design authority is up there to ask up front, do we know that the problem that we're solving for is technically solvable and that we're going to approach this in a way that is robust, doesn't have technical debt, repeatable, all of those good things? There isn't a process in most businesses to say, do we have everything in place to deliver all of the business changes needed to get value out of this technical solution. It, it is something that scares me a little bit, but I'm starting to ask comparisons for, because I've never wanted to go anywhere near ERP projects. But if you look at ERP projects, they have massive change forums in place that involve all of the functions that are associated. 
to make sure all of the teams whose processes are changing are aware that they've got people to help retrain retrain those teams. That whole side of business change um, and that those teams within finance, within purchasing that are responsible for the RP are 100% dedicated to the project and to support the project until the RP finishes. And then you look at a data science algorithm, which might uh, automate a major decision within a business, like a recommendation algorithm. There's no equivalent, but it is the same level of change. All of the functions are going to need to change their processes to take advantage of this new automated decision making. But there aren't teams set up to do the change management to redefine the processes. I think we could learn a lot from some more traditional practices like implementing systems. Um, I think uh, I've kind of gone off piece with your question a little bit. But yeah, they, I think people underestimate the level of change needed to get value. And, and there's no process to ask for that up front. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely makes makes sense. Uh, so I guess in, in terms of the process that you followed, then was that because you talked about before, you know, 10% of value, 50% of value, yeah. 100% of value, dependent upon um, the, the input, I guess, uh, in terms of what, what you and your team were, were doing and or delivering against? Was that kind of something that was agreed up front? And then was the kind of a, a flow through of that in terms of, you know, how you prioritized which use cases got the nod over? others yeah and the, the process that we used to do this obviously kept evolving and kept changing the more attention the team got the more stakeholders the more transparent it had to be but essentially it's the ability to say what are all the projects you're working on what's the anticipated value metric and to, and do we have everything in place to deliver the change what's the attributable value we're going to get so you can forecast we're a data team we should be able to forecast what's happening um, and then regularly reviewing that because it is complicated. Things do change and you do need the ability to hurt, to press the kill switch and go, this project's turned out to be more complicated than we thought. Uh, we actually can't produce a predictive algorithm in this place. The, the, the business strategy has changed. We no longer need to drive that metric and having a regular process to, to pull that, the handle. Um, the, we never ended up up with something as simple as this, uh, but the suggestion I'd make is everything should run off QBRs and you should never be able to commit to a resource to do work that lasts longer than a quarter. So at the QBR point, every team should be able to stop and you either cancel the project or you commit for another quarter. That The other advantage of that is it helps you identify Maybe 60% good enough is good enough because you've realized it's 60% complete that you're going to get 90% of the value. So you don't need to do 40% more work. You've got a point to stop. Uh, obviously, that's a bit simplified, but that mm -hmm. kind of that regular process of reporting all of your projects, resource working on them, projected value, how far away you are, and regularly reviewing that, getting a business stakeholder to agree their responsibilities, it's key. The, the more accountability you can get, I think the more uh, value will drive, the harder it becomes as well. Um, but in the ultimate example, you you should take your highest value projects and try and get them men mentioned in the notes that go out to shareholders because then the market's expecting it. Then you've got real accountability and then the business will absolutely go and drive the results. But you know, level below that, make sure the board are aware, level below that, the board members, the more you've got people interested in the project, the more people will be aware of it and telling their teams, are you ready for this? Um, you can't just keep it in a silo. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Hannah Davis, who is the head of Data Academy at Admiral Group. So, Hannah, thank you very much for joining us. 
No, thank you for having me. I'm so, so excited for this today. Talk me through the journey a little bit then, because you mentioned it kind of started as a platform to help kind of training and, and, and learning and development, which um, is interesting because I think, you know, we've had such a kind of varied and varied shift in, in the industry, you know, data academies popping up often for, you know, the ability to train more junior data analytics people, right, given the fact that getting um, and hiring attracting talent is is tough. Um, but then, you know, somewhere along that journey, people realized actually there's a way for us to incorporate the business, the board, the whole shebang. Just just talk, talk me through kind of how that kind of, you know, evolution within the Data Academy grew. Yeah, absolutely. So when we started, the first role that we actually hired was um, an engagement and content officer really to focus on the comms. And so I think it's it's probably a bold move if I think about the other data academies I've seen and the work that could have gone on in that space. For us, we identified that actually we have hundreds, and I mean like 650, 700 strong people working in data. And one of the biggest things that people wanted was to come together. And so we started there and we started with things like being able to share what was going on um, in an organization as big as us and especially in a remote working organization. I think that tangibility and that closeness is really difficult for people to achieve. And so that for us was a really strong part and probably the proudest thing I'm or the thing I'm proudest of doing through 2022 was building that community and bringing them together. Then we really focused on development. And for us, it became about offering training courses, but also thinking about how do we develop the people that we have today? And how do we support them in a way that really accelerates them into their next role, gives them a, a sense of what's going on in data far more widely, and focusing on areas like networking and like visibility, as well as training and development to really bring them together. Then for us, I think it really is that world of training being about thinking of what gets us to a place where we as a business want to go so I talked about Admiral 2.0 thinking about things like how do we ensure that the whole business can talk data can read data but is also confident with it so I don't think a training course that says this is data this is a great chart here's some data visualization I don't think that's enough I think it very much is about bringing people on this journey and saying, you know, here's what data could help us achieve, but here are the ways that you deal with it every day and maybe don't realize. And so that step into using it in a business context maybe isn't as big as people first think. And also thinking about the needs of we're attracting great talent in, we have a great graduate program, but what happens after that point and how do you get people to stay? And so constantly thinking about upskilling, reskilling opportunities, be that in-house or be that content that we purchase through providers. It really is about, you know, the softer side. But I think for me, tying together that piece around culture, I guess, and more widely, not just people, not just training, not about just offering, you know, this academy resource to help develop your staff, but really thinking about the people and how we kind of come up to that culture level really is where where it's important and where I think coming together and our big kind of grand plan if you like is really thinking about what can we be doing that really gets us to that Admiral 2.0 that really gets us to thinking about data being a part of everything that we do and I think here that kind of nod back to Admiral's past 
we're an insurance company in car insurance everything is data driven and always really has been and I think we're really privileged in that position that you know to have claims data and to have pricing data and to make that work in a business for 30 years you have to have strong data skills and strong data people and so it's it's really lucky for us I guess that there's always been such a value associated to having strong data that's been really helpful but I think also People are so aware now at every level, and I think not just in Admiral, but outside, that it's no longer just enough that you think about the problems that you can solve today, but you're also thinking about maybe what tomorrow's problems might be. And for me, I think if you really kind of focus on weaving data culture, data people, training through that landscape, I don't think change is as difficult. And I think that we're a real catalyst and enabler in the way that we're set up to support the whole of data, not just analytics, but also our data assurance functions and our kind of data enablement services, all of that we support. And so being able to do that, I think, gives this real kind of confidence that as we go through any change, we can we can help people adopt, we can help people upskill, and we can kind of be that force that brings the whole of it together. Mm. It's really interesting because it, it sounds like there's a kind of a certain level of rigor and robustness around it. Because obviously you see, and it depends where someone is at on their data academy journey, right? But you, you see some of them, you know, that are data academies in quotation marks. And it's, uh, you know, here's a quick course on Tableau or Power BI, right? Whereas this seems to be a little bit more all-encompassing so yes there'll be some technical upskilling of course but it's you know it's not just the data team it's the business team and it's adoption it's culture it's communications it's it's the whole it's the whole shebang i guess the thing that interests me then hannah and the question is what was the what was the trigger point at what point did admiral decide right this this is now you know we're at a place now where we need something that's bigger and better than what we're currently doing Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's born out of a load of different things for us. So we've had a central kind of learning and development function, our Admiral Academy for a long time. It's an award winning academy. And we've always focused on training people. And like I described earlier, kind of people being the real heart of the business for us. As we really thought about data and data products, data insights, data services, and really kind of moved into that space through formulating, you know, new data strategies and thinking about the future in terms of cloud and and how we might move forward into, sorry, into Admiral 2.0, we knew that we wanted something. And I, I think that kind of goes back to that, you know, my description of setting up the Data Academy and not really knowing where we would kind of end up right then. But we knew we needed something that started to bring everybody together. We have some data teams that are, you know, 200 plus strong. We have some data teams that are maybe three or four people. And so really thinking about the different ways that we could work with that and make it work um, was was really influential. But also that really strong focus on we are a great place to work and we've won multiple awards for being a great place to work. But. I think that our our focus really is about being a great place to work for data professionals. And so we wanted to include that element. And for us, that meant, you know, researching what our people wanted, but thinking about things outside of us and and what others were looking for. And, you know, back in the 2020, 2021, it was 
training, it was development, it was, you know, a job that I can constantly learn in. I think most data people are real learners and are looking for innovation and looking for the next kind of development in technology or techniques or tools or whatever it might be. And so it really was born from thinking in a real people mindset about what what does our data landscape and data world of the future look like and how do we get there? And I think it goes back to that kind of weaving through. It it would never have just been enough at that point, I don't think, to say, well, we need a training academy or we can push the comms into our comms team because I think in the data world, we wanted to make this little kind of universe, if you like, of, of being able to share, being together and it being really relevant and really hard hitting. And I don't think that, you know, our contact center staff really want to hear about what's going on in our tribe and our data change team or what tools and techniques we're looking at next or or any of that. But also we wanted to give them the chance. So we recently did a lunch and learn on chat GPT and we kind of really opened it out and we had amazing attendance from all different departments. And it really, for me, cemented that fact that people are interested. You just have to give them give them a way to engage without kind of almost forcing it down their necks, if you like, and let them come to us and let them engage with us, which has really worked really well for us so far. Mm, yeah. So you, you, you're effectively almost just like a central service to the business, right? That it operates through the data teams that you serve and then the cust- their customers, which are obviously your business users, right? Which is, yeah, really, really interesting. Talk me through then the bold decision to kind of make the first hire around content and communication. Um, and I'll, um, you know, I'll caveat that with, um, I personally think that is the right thing to do based on the fact that if I think about anyone that's come on this podcast and has been able to turn around to me and say, we did X and that delivered Y in terms of kind of commercial benefit and value. One of the core competencies that they always refer back to was having a fairly robust comms strategy around Mm -hmm. that to get it to the business. So um, it makes sense for me having all of that insight from those conversations. But as you very rightly said at the start, for a lot of people that had been, well, you know, don't we need to be teaching our whatever business users to be a little bit more savvy around X or Y, right, on on a more technical basis. So talk talk me through the decision to go that, that route. I think it was a really easy decision and I I think for the reasons you've just outlined okay we have lots of different teams we have lots of different people we have loads of amazing things going on and no real way to to tangibly share that at that point and everything that is true I guess around being able to see the value being able to see it even knowing what's happening the first connections we made were some of the most impactful in you know a team that's maybe three or four heads saying actually I didn't really know that that was going on or you know we've just encountered that problem can we share about it and so we started really small in that space and thinking about how we could build connections how we could build a community how we could build networks And that really fell into what I call kind of our two pillars of the five that sit in the Data Academy around engagement and communication. And really um, that community element started to be born. And so we looked across the vastness that was the five kind of pillars. And I've talked through them, you know, it's about attraction, it's about engagement, community, training, development. 
And I was quite confident that I could, you know, support some of the training and development things going on, given my previous role and, you know, really wanted to make a small, intimate team that could really get things done and knew that the time where maybe I was spending time speaking to stakeholders, speaking to people in the business, thinking about training and development for our staff, I couldn't then be spent thinking about community and engagement. So the five pillars for us really focus on, you know, that attraction of great talent, engaging um, and engagement, community, training and development. And so when I'm focusing within training and development, I knew that we really needed to focus on that engagement and community piece. And so really early on, those key deliverables that we wanted to do or key things that we wanted to achieve is, you know, being able to give that community a home and think about how we leveraged the community but also how we served it and so things like team channels are really great for that but also things like newsletters events we had an incredible launch party back last year and you know we're planning our next events and we've got a series of things like lunch and learns and actually all of that stuff is so meaningful and so impactful but not you know that kind of delivering a training course delivering a development program thinking about progression and role development but it's as vital and as valued and so way back when it was a really simple a really simple view of you know we want to bring people together we want to give them a place to share we want to make sure that we're not tackling the same problem twice in two different areas that we're visibly talking about data and helping others understand it when we've got really specific business areas you know we have people in marketing who know their data really well we have people in our people services or our HR type teams that know their data really well we might need to use it in different places but we're not really joining that together and so that was that was a really impactful win for us and I said it earlier but it's the bit I'm most proud of is bringing those people together because actually you know we can we can talk outwardly about what we're doing and we can offer training and development and really think about bringing along new initiatives and new tools and thinking about people upskilling but generally day to day you know it's those people talking that never would have talked before it's those decisions we make that we never would have even known the problem existed before those are the bits that really kind of start for us Hmm, yeah so it's it's basically the the engagement and kind of community piece is is you raising awareness around a your existence but b all the good work that's going on in the business and a way then for you know people to kind of come together and collaborate more holistically as a as an organization right rather than operating in in silos which is is obviously very common um you spoke there about the the five key pillars just talk me through very high level you know we know you can't give away all your your secret sauce but um just give us kind of a a bit of insight into what each of those pillars is kind of you know up to day to day if that makes sense yes so attraction is probably the one that we're really in the the early journeys of mainly because we've got an incredible recruitment team but that is you know talking and thinking about how do we attract great people in what are people looking for what can we do alongside our you know initiatives and our innovation um ideas and our new products and things like that but what can we do for data professionals what do we have with the setup of our admiral data community and our data community um data academy sorry and data community that really draws us apart and so 
you know, getting to chat about what we're doing is really important. So people are aware, but also thinking about, you know, what makes our data professionals happy day to day? How do we how do we think about always making sure that we're listening to them, that they have a voice, not just in the wider admiral, but also in data? Because great ideas really do come from anywhere. And, you know, it really is a, a kind of team sport to be in data. You don't want, you know, person A and person B working separately on problems that are probably quite similar. Um, if I then go into engagement, um, I've mentioned a few things that are going on, but we've got kind of um, quarterly events, we have lunch and learns, we have, you know, bringing people together through firesides or through problem sharing or, you know, just discussion around what's happening in data, whether it's a, I want to know what this piece of data is, or I want to ask a question about this particular tool all of that is happening and we facilitate that but my dream is that that community and that piece kind of is really self-sufficient right like it's great that we can host these things and we can support and we can bring together but really the utopia is a community that kind of will look after itself and it's so established and so mature that you know you almost don't need you don't need to influence it or bring it together that then kind of, I guess, goes into community too. And then training and development are really self-explanatory, but we have training, be that I want this course or I want to look at this technique or this um, piece of software or, or tool that we're exploring, but also develop, development programs like our kind of data futures programs where we look at upskilling future seniors and future managers and then inside of there are things like networks, be that at senior manager level or around specific tools or around specific um, kind of communities of practice, if you like. All of that is going on. So it's really kind of a real mix of things. Day to day, it looks really different, but it's always really fast paced. It's always, you know, really innovative. And I think everything that Admiral does and talks about is probably we'd say it's a real test and learn but I think really early in that was the view that we took was we'll try it and if it doesn't work we'll change it and so you know we've done a couple of iterations of of our development programs and so we're now at a point of making some changes for the next lot but also constantly listening so we constantly ask for feedback we constantly get people involved with focus groups or forums to say you know how can we shape this because it's as much for everybody that's there as it is for us it can't just be my ideas or the team's ideas or my managers or whoever's ideas it has to be something that we think will will work and benefit us and so it really is that kind of let's try it let's go for it let's start and then think about what can we do better next time and constantly evolving like that. So, you know, we talk about agile delivery of things. I guess this is potentially an agile delivery of a data academy too. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcast's as they arrive and please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two if you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests then please feel free to reach out to me thanks for listening and i'll be back next week 